Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. I love you, brothers and sisters. I, I love you uh, with a sincere love, and I want to encourage you uh, as we go into this sermon. I just want to encourage you, uh, because this, this kind of came up, I had prepared my sermon notes beforehand, but this kind of came on my heart last night um, as I was thinking about this, and I know there's a lot going on right now in the world um, at a time where it seems like, oh man, like lawlessness and uh, evil seems to be running rampant. Looks like it might be winning just want to encourage you that it's not. I just want to encourage you that a glorious day is coming. A glorious day is coming. Set your eyes on the Lord and his many great and precious promises. Set your eyes on the Lord. A glorious day is coming. I just wanted to impart that to you. I just wanted to share that with you. Um, the Bible tells us that God is good. And that according to Psalm 135, verse 6, and many other examples all throughout the Bible, the Lord does whatever he pleases, period. Whether the Lord chooses to sovereignly initiate or to intervene or chooses not to, the Bible tells us that he is in control and he is good. And that we as individuals are still responsible for what we do or don't do in this life. And I believe that with all my heart, and I thank the Lord that he, a perfectly good God, is ultimately in control. That's good news to me. And though my heart's desire and hope is that by God's grace, the Lord will bless us all with a long and joyful life, in fellowship with him in this present life and show us his salvation uh, with Psalm 91, uh, verse 16 in mind. At the same time, I am very aware of the real possibility that there are some present, possibly in this room, now and, and some online, today and with the, the wonders of the internet sometime in the future who may see this sermon and it may be the very last sermon they ever hear in this present life. And so I do not by any means take this lightly and I hope and pray that none of us take this lightly. If you'll turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And as you're turning there, um, a quick introduction uh, of the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, kind of a quick setting of the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is from ESV.org. Uh, it says this, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians from Macedonia a year or so after writing 1 Corinthians. During his third missionary journey, he had just finished his three-year ministry in Ephesus and was visiting the churches in Macedonia as he made his way to Corinth. In Macedonia, he met Titus, who had returned from Corinth with news about the church there. So the understanding is that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to the Corinthian church. And in this chapter, he's talking to people who are part of a church. Right? So let's look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. And the text says this. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others... He says, and all the others, 
And I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize that, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Praise God. Now, when you look at verse 2, Paul says he's, he's extending another warning, right, to those who had sinned before, right? And though it does say, and all the others, it does appear that Paul has an audience in mind, right? A specific audience in this particular section. Those who had sinned before. But he does say, and all the others. And when I look in verse 5, I see an exhortation there that I believe is profitable for all the church. For all the church, right? And we see this exhortation in other places, right? And when they're about to administer the communion, what does Paul say? But let a man examine himself, right? And so we see this exhortation here. And Paul is saying, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Someone might be inclined to say, wait a minute, preacher. Isn't this the same Apostle Paul who explained to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, right? It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we understand that we are saved through faith and not works. Amen. So, preacher, what does it matter if they do wrong, right? Like in verse 7, when he says, I pray that you not do wrong. What does it matter if they do wrong, preacher? If we're saved by faith and not by what we do or don't do anyway, what does it matter? But likewise, God-breathed Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture tells us in James chapter 2, it tells us that faith apart from works is dead, right? Right? James chapter 2, verse 14 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And the obvious implication there is no, right? Verses 17 through 18 says this. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So, so, so what is the takeaway here? Well, what the text is teaching us is that dead faith is non-existent faith. It is ineffectual. It is not real. Dead faith is not saving faith. It cannot save some people look at this text and they confuse the two and they think that James and Paul are contradicting one another, but they're not. But they're not. See, what we have to understand is though there are many writers, Scripture is authored by God, one author, many writers. 
And God is not contradicting himself. They're actually talking about two separate things. Paul is talking about the means by which we are saved, through faith and not works. James is talking about the difference between real faith and false faith. True faith, faith that saves, is made evident. It's made evident, key word there, by good works and good fruit. I believe this is why the Apostle Paul cares about what they are doing. I believe this is why he cares about their works. And the word of God, through the apostle, the apostle Paul says in verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you know why a habitually and consistently ungodly, unchristlike, unloving, and unbiblical life without good works is evidence of dead faith or illegitimate faith? I believe the answer is right here in verse 5. Let's read through the rest of verse 5. It says this, Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, there's a caveat, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. What is the apostle saying? What he's saying is those who are truly in the faith, Jesus Christ is in you. This, this is why true faith is made evident by good works is because those who are in the faith have Jesus Christ living in us. It is he who produces the works, not we ourselves. It is he who does the work. Jesus says this, right? In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this. In John chapter 8, verse 12, and I, and I should have told you guys, I, you know, anybody who's heard me preach before, you, you know you'll need a notebook and uh, a pencil. Um, but hopefully um, you can check the video afterwards and get these Bible verses because I pray that by God's grace you will meditate on these verses and just let the Holy Spirit just have his way. Just have his way. And, and, and some of you may have heard a message like this before, but some of you may not have. It's, you know, who, whoever may be watching online. And this is so important that we get this right. It is so important. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Does there seem to be any uncertainty in what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying there? Is he saying, you know, those who come to me, you know, they might kind of, you know, compromise for a little bit and might play friendly with the world for a little bit? No, absolute certainty. Where does that come from? Yes, obviously he is the Lord. He knows all things, but listen to what he's saying. Absolute certainty. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This light that every believer, that every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ has from the Lord, this light that he makes us into in himself. See Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. <laughs> this light that he makes us into is him himself. And he, the light of the world, changes us in a very real and observable way. As we see in Matthew 5, verse 16. An observable way. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven in a real and observable way way so that we no longer walk in darkness. We don't. We don't. In light of John 8, 12, each of us must ask ourselves, do I just, do I just say I'm a Christian, but I'm still walking in darkness? Or have I truly received the light of life, 
the Lord Jesus Christ himself and no longer walk in darkness as it is evident in my life. I'm sorry, I no longer walk in darkness and is it evident in my life? We've got to ask ourselves that question. It is so important. Which brings us to what kind of works are we talking about here, right? Because some folks will hear this and they'll immediately jump out there and they'll be like, yeah, I'm a good person. I do good stuff. I'm moral. I'm nice. Ask anybody on my block. I'm the nicest person you'll ever meet. They used to call me Mr. Morality back in school, right? What kind of good works are we talking about? It can't just be our own self-invented code of, code of conduct, right? It can't be by human invention, right? Isaiah chapter uh, 64 verse 6 tells us that all of our attempts at righteous deeds are as filthy rags. That is not what God is looking for, right? All our human attempts at virtue signaling, right? This is not what Jesus is talking about. This is not what the word of God is talking about when it talks about good works. John chapter 14, please, verse 12. And it says this. This is our Lord talking. This is Jesus Christ. The Lord says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You know, I heard uh, another preacher uh, that I was listening to some time ago. Uh, he made a point that I thought was really good. Um, I don't remember exactly how he said it. <laughs> I wish I did. He probably said it better than I am about to say it. But uh, essentially, the point he was making was this. Many of us are very familiar with passages like John 3.16, right, that talks about what, uh, what we can expect as believers, Right? Whoever believes in him will have eternal life, right? We're very familiar with those passages. But how many of us are familiar with passages like this? John 14, verse 12. Yes, amen. Whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will live forever, will have eternal life, that they not perish but have eternal life. But Jesus also says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. How do we remember one and forget the other? Or like 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, that says this. Whoever says he abides in me ought to walk in the same way. I'm sorry, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That changes things. <laughs> right? Guys, we can't erase it from the Bible. It's there. I think what the Word of God is saying is it's time out for the games, right? He's calling us. He's calling us to, to step up, to step up to the high call, right? To the, to, to the high call of the, 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 how's it go? To the high call of the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's calling us to step up. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I'm not judging you. I am calling you to judge yourself. No. The word of God is calling you to judge yourself. Examine yourself. So what kind of works are we talking about? Well, the works that the Lord Jesus showed us with the example of his life. And the works that he showed us with the example of his life is to daily live in obedience to the will and word of God. That was the example of our Lord Jesus' life that he set for us. A life lived in obedience to the Lord God Almighty. As it is said of our Lord Jesus Christ, he always did what pleased the Father. That's the example he set for us. Obedience to the will and word of God. The Holy Scriptures of the Lord 
are so clear on this matter. And it is so important that we examine ourselves and make sure that we don't miss this. Please listen to these very clear and sobering words from our Lord Jesus Christ. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And please set your eyes upon these texts. Very clear. Very sobering. Sobering in the sense that if we were sleeping, brothers and sisters, this is the wake-up call. This is the wake-up call. In verse 21, it says this. And please, online, you know, um, jot down these verses. If you don't have your Bible immediately with you, and go back and look at them. And if you do have your Bible, please follow along. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me read that for you one more time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, I got to pause there for a moment. Many. Not a few. Oh, Lord, why couldn't you say a few? Or just a little. But he says many. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then... Will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh-oh. Ouch. That doesn't sound like hippie Jesus. That doesn't sound like light on the loafers, limp-wristed Jesus. No, this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he does not mince words. He does not mince words. Let us see him that way. Glorious in his love and in his might and in his authority and in his severity. He is holy. He is holy. He will have no part with darkness you will have no part with sin. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. No, this, is the, this is the striking part here. The Lord Jesus didn't say, well, I knew you at one point, and you were really going hard, and then you just kind of fell off, so we're not tight anymore. No, no, no. No, we, we know that he is married to the backslider. We know that if you were with him ever, you will continue with him. That's what the scripture tells us. They went out from us that it might be revealed that they were never part of us in the first place. So there is no, uh, uh, me and Jesus were cool, and, and I, was, I was really going hard for Jesus, and then we were, I was on fire, and then something just happened, and I just felt like that wasn't right for me anymore. If you were ever with him for real, he keeps you. He keeps you. He keeps his own. He doesn't lose them. For you are in my hand, says the Lord. And I am in the Father. And the Father is greater than I. And no one plucks you from my hand. That is our great confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have great confidence that if we ever belong to him, he doesn't cast out the stumbler. He, doesn't, he won't break a bent reed or put out a smoldering wick. He's faithful. Don't get it twisted. You may have been doing religious things, but if you're ever with him, he keeps you. Amen. And what he says to these people is that I never knew you. But wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. We were just talking about how works are evidence of true faith, right? But apparently it's not just any kind of works. But wait, wait a minute, preacher. These people sound like they're doing some pretty religious stuff. Did, did we not prophesy in your name? That's awesome. 
How many of us, if we saw somebody like legit prophesy and then it came to pass, we'd be like, that man is walking with God. How many of us, if we saw somebody cast out a demon, like somebody came in here growling and, and, and rolling around on the floor and they just said, in the name of Jesus, get up. And that person sat up and in their right mind, we'd be like, whoa, this dude knows Jesus. Right? But wait a minute. Jesus looks at this group of people and he doesn't debate that. And I don't, I don't know if he doesn't debate it because he doesn't have to, because he's king of kings and lord of lords. Or I don't know if he doesn't debate it because they actually did these things. But what I can say to you is, for some reason, it didn't matter to him. There was something they were missing. And this is what's so terrifying, is that you can live your whole life. This text tells us that you could live your whole life thinking that you were right with God. And oh my Lord, he will tell you, I never knew you. Lord, may it not be so. But how many times did he warn us? The text has been here for generations. For t- oh, oh my goodness. For thousands of years, the Bible has declared, do not be deceived. Do you not know that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? He said it over and over and over and over and over again. And even if you said you didn't see the text, he said the creation declares the glory of the Lord. He says, therefore, they are without excuse. And so he says here, depart from me. I never knew you. And he doesn't say a little. He says many, many. Brothers and sisters, do you see how important it is to get this right? And to not put it off, to get it right today. Today. Do you pass the test? So what is it that the Lord Jesus was looking for that he didn't see on this day? When they cried out, Lord, Lord. I mean, can you imagine that? When we hear this text, it sounds like they're probably excited to see him, probably. Imagine this level of confidence. Right? They're like, Lord, Lord. And imagine the shock and the surprise at his response. But you got to wonder, you can't help but to wonder, there had to have been something along the way that signaled to them something's not right, something's missing, something's off, or were they too blinded by money? I mean, listen to this. They're prophesying in his name, they're casting out demons. I mean... I don't know about you, man, but somebody doing that type of stuff nowadays, I mean, might have a pretty big boom in ministry, right? I'm just saying, you know, you advertise that on a billboard and, man, the crowd will flock, right? But maybe they were too blind by the pomp and circumstance, the laser lights, the smoke machines. Maybe they were too blinded by the money. Maybe they thought that riches signified the favor of God. And they thought, oh, man, well, I seem to be doing pretty well. God must be blessing me. That's what it is. I'm blessed. Surely, surely I must be right with God. But what is it that they were missing? Let's read on. In verse 24, it says this. Listen to the words of the living and true God. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Do you think being told by the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Life, depart from me, I never knew you, is a pretty big fall? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, great was the fall of it. 
And brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but surely I want the Lord of, the Lord of glory to consider me a wise man, right? But why do we ignore his clear words when he tells us that I will consider you wise if you hear my words and do them? You're wise. You won't be like these folks in 21 through 23. You won't be deceived, thinking that you're right when you're wrong. If you hear my words and you do them, it resonates the Bible verse in my mind. Do not be hearers of the word only, deceiving yourselves, but be doers of the word. And here's the Lord saying it. How many times does he have to say it? I do not believe it is a coincidence that this is how the Lord ends the Sermon on the Mount that began all the way back in chapter 5 of Matthew, in the book of Matthew. And he wraps up this sermon with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Be salt and light. Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Be faithful to your wife in your heart and on the outside. There's some who will take that text and be like, oh, man, those are great platitudes, Lord. But um, really? You don't really expect us to do that, do you? Look at verse 24 through 27. Does it sound like he expects you to do it? Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is how he wraps up his sermon. Crowd standing here, listening around the mountain, and you, thousands of years into the future, who hear these words of mine and do them, will be like a, a wise man who built his house on a rock. And when those storms come, they will not overtake you. Your house will not fall if you are built on the rock of the word of Jesus Christ. Oh, but that's so exclusive, Lord. Really? Just your words, Jesus? Just your words? What about Confucius? He said a lot of good things. What about Gandhi? Really? Just your words, Jesus? Yep. As I said before, it is inclusive in that all may come. But it is exclusive in that the way is narrow and straight. There is but one door. And all who enter in another way are thieves and robbers. There is but one door and one sheep gate. The Lord Jesus Christ. Enter in by the door. And just to further, further reinforce, in Luke 6.46, the Lord says it this way. In Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Can he be any more clear? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? But, oh, Lord, I got this whole moral code. I got, I got all these good things I want to do. But what did he tell you to do? Are you doing that? Right? I mean, you, you kind of get this, this thought about the Pharisees, right? You remember Jesus, one of the indictments, he said, you tithe on mint and rue. You, may, you are meticulous about that, making sure you get that tithe in. But you neglect mercy and compassion. Should you not have done one and not, neglect, and not neglected the other? He said, go and learn this saying. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. But what about somebody who's been doing a lot of sacrificing? I mean, it seems so good and religious, right? But what did the Lord say? Those who hear my word and do it are wise. Brothers and sisters, will you be counted wise today?
Will you be counted wise by the Lord Jesus Christ? In conclusion, let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And as you're turning there, in summary, what kind of works is the Lord God talking about? The works that he exemplified with the example of his life and the works that he told us to do with his word. And understanding that it is Christ who produces these works in us. It's not something that we just grind through and try to make it happen. I'm going to, in our own power. That is legalism. That is religiosity. To do these things and try to do them in your own strength apart from Christ without fully relying and leaning on the Lord. I love the song, Jesus Paid It All. And in the, in the verses, in the lyrics of Jesus Paid It All, it says, uh, Child of weakness, watch and pray, and find in me your all in all. Child of weakness. Do you realize your weakness? That's where it starts, right? Child of weakness, watch and pray, and find in me, Jesus Christ, your all in all. Verse 1, it says this, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, it says this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And... By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, watch this, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Examine yourselves and see if you are in the faith. How do, how do you do that? Does the word of the Lord provide the answer? Examine yourselves and see if you be in the faith. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know. How do you know? What's the test? By this we may know that we are in him. Do you keep his word? And I remember the Bible verse that says, and his commandments are not grievous to us. For whoever has put their faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm paraphrasing, but whoever put their faith in Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Has overcome the world. His, his commandments are not grievous to us. His commandment is love. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And his commandments are not grievous to us. Yes, that is the summary of them. That is the summary of them. And yes, he goes into greater detail that what that love looks like because many times man will come and even try to manipulate that. Try to invent what it looks like to love your neighbor apart from what Jesus has already revealed. But his commandments are not grievous to us. And by this we may know that we are in him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. As we look at verse 1 in this passage, 
We understand that the Bible is not saying that true Christians never sin again. Nor is it saying that the mark of someone who is truly in the faith is absolute perfection in all that we say and do, just like our Lord Jesus Christ was perfect in everything, in all that he said and did. When we look at verse 1, it's not saying that about us. Verse 1 reminds us that the goal is not to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is an an acknowledgement that we're not perfect. But what is the direction of your life? And what is the narrative that characterizes your life? He's saying, hey, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if, that's another thing, brothers and sisters, please, let's adopt biblical language when referring to ourselves. Let's talk like the Bible talks about us. If we sin, not when. This text doesn't say that. It just doesn't say that. It doesn't say, but when you sin, we have an advocate. It says, but if anyone sins. The goal is not to. Right? Isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we're striving for? Isn't that what we're laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us or running the race that is set before us? Isn't that the goal? And so let's adopt biblical language. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What the Scripture teaches It's not that Christians are absolutely perfect in everything that we say and do and never make any mistakes. What it is teaching is this. As we've seen in other passages and as we see here in verses 3 through 6, what the Scripture is teaching is that the evidence or sign that we are truly in the faith and that we are truly born-again Christians is that, I'm sorry, and that we are truly born again Christians that have the Lord Jesus Christ living in us, is that our life after conversion is one that is characterized and typified by obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Scripture teaches. It's that the life of the believer is a life that is characterized and typified by obedience to Jesus Christ. If you call him your Lord... Follow him like he's your Lord. That's what the Bible is saying. By this you know, you know you've been changed. By this you know he lives in you, right? I am crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I no longer live, but it is he who lives in me, right? How can you have that testimony that it is the Lord Jesus who lives in you and you look nothing like him? (laughs) Call me crazy, it just kind of sounds like common sense, right? If he lives in you, you will live like him in obedience to God. In obedience to God. Now I'm not saying... You'll walk on foot everywhere you go. You know, I mean, even Jesus took a donkey at least once, but that I know of. I'm not saying that you'll have the same vocation. Hopefully, I just want to put that out there. Hopefully, when I say you will live like him, we all understand that the example he set for us is a life of obedience to God, a life in obedience to God, obedience to the word of God. And finally, in verse 2, verse 2 reminds us of the gospel. That he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the propitiation. He is the satisfying and atoning sacrifice for our sins. He did it. He finished it. And this is why we can see, this is what we have to understand. It's all by grace. It's all by grace. 
And this grace, this kindness, let's understand that word is sometimes it, it can be, become churchianity. Let's understand grace, right? Undeserved kindness, undeserved favor from God. And it's all by grace. Even the good works that we do are by grace. This is what I love this saying. It goes, the same grace that saved us is the same grace that sanctifies us. God saves us by grace, and then by grace, he begins to do this transforming work in us. That's why you can't fake it. You can't fake it till you make it, because this kind of work can only be done by the Holy Spirit. can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Oh, don't get me wrong. When I say you can't fake it, I, you might be able to convince some folks, right? You might be able to convince some folks, but you can't fool him. But didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do mighty works in your name? You can't manufacture this, and it can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same grace that saves us is the same grace that transforms us. When you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And anybody out there, if you have examined yourself, and I hope and pray that we all have, if you have examined yourself and you see you don't measure up and you don't pass the test, the good news is because Jesus is our propitiation, you can get it right, right now. You can get it right, right now. Hey, we can pray for you, but you don't even got to do that. You don't have to do that. We can, we can call you up here, we can pray for you, but you don't have to do that. The Bible says... That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And with the heart, a man believes unto righteousness. You can believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ right where you are right now. You can receive him by faith right now. You can look unto Jesus and receive him for all that he is for you and for all that he has done for you. You can receive him right now. You can, ident- you can acknowledge him as God the Son, Lord of all and Savior of the world through faith right now. And you can receive his atoning sacrifice on your behalf by faith right now. You just stop trying to justify yourself. That, that is what it means to be a Christian. When we call ourselves Christians, we just admit it. When you, when you say, I am a Christian, if you really understand what that means, you just admit it that you blew it. Do you understand that? When you say, I am a Christian, you just said, I blew it. Therefore, I gave up trying to save myself and gave myself over to a Savior, Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. I blew it. I sinned. And I'm talking like I really blew it. I'm, I'm talking like death penalty blew it, right? I blew it. The wages of sin is death. And guess what? Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, we all blew it. That's the only difference between a convert and somebody who is not a Christian. The biggest difference between, and don't get me wrong, there's lots of other differences once the Lord transforms us. But the main difference, the essential difference is a non-Christian is still trying to justify and save himself. And a Christian acknowledges, I can't save myself. I need a savior. As I heard it said, I'm just a spiritually poor person, a beggar who found some bread, and I'm pointing you to where you can get some for yourself. I found some bread. I found the bread of life. Look, man, and I'm eating it. You want some? You can live forever, man. I'm telling you, this is the bread that comes down from heaven that a man can eat and live forever. The bread of life, he came down and gave himself freely for us. You want some? I can point you to where to get it. And when he fills you, oh, my Lord, when he fills you, I'm not saying you won't ever have any any more temptations or trials, but what I'm telling you is there's a power there that makes you stand back up when you want to give up. There's a power there that makes you push on. When you want to throw in the towel, when you think the whole world is against you, there's a hand that picks you up. He's faithful. He says, I know. He said, I've been there. They hated me, and they'll hate you too. 
But I got you back. Why would you why would you run from a God like this? And the exhortation today is don't be deceived. He is real. And the transformation, the work he does in us is real. Don't wait until it's too late. He's standing, he's waiting. He's here now. If you come to him by faith, if you receive him through faith, he will cleanse you from all of your sin. He will fill you with his powerful Holy Spirit. He will give you a new heart. He, will, he understand what I'm saying. He, he, he will do this. He will do this. He will do this. He will cleanse you. He will fill you with the Spirit. He will give you a new heart. He will make you into a new creation. He will begin to transform you into his same glorious image. And people will see it. It will be observable. It will be real. And they will glorify our Father in heaven. To God be the glory. Let's close in prayer. Abba, Father, you are so good. You are so faithful. You demonstrated your love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you didn't stop there. For this reason, Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. You didn't just stop at justifying us, but Lord, you're working in us. You're transforming us from glory to glory in ever increasing splendor into the very image of our Lord Jesus Christ, your blessed Son. Lord, we pray that by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we will not be conformed to this world. We won't talk like them. We won't walk like them. We won't live like them. We won't think like them. We won't be conformed to their morality, but we'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transformed by the renewing of our minds into the very image of the blessed one. The one who you spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm pleased with him. Lord, let us be transformed into the image of that blessed one, the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, in whom you are well pleased. Father, this we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.